Hi there, Fig Tree. Darren Brampton here, coming to you from my school here in Kintore, also known as Wabanguru, home to about 500 of the Pintabi Laricha people, situated in the Northern Territory's Central Desert region, about 550 kilometres west of Alice Springs and 30 kilometres east of the Western Australian border. So basically in the middle of nowhere, or as I like to think, in the middle of everywhere. I have the privilege of bringing you today's Bible reading. And that reading comes to you from Mark chapter 13, verse 26, and going through to 31. Then with great power and glory, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. He will then send forth his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the depths of the earth to the summit of heaven. But learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch is tender and it sprouts forth leaves, you know that the harvest is near. In the same way, know that when you see these things come to pass, the time is near for the harvest. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. What a great question. How much does the hope of the second coming of Jesus impact our daily living for Jesus now? Simple answer, enormously. You know, when we think about the second coming of Jesus, uh, I was trying to think about how would I explain this. And it's kind of like we live our lives right now between two bookends. Bookends that hold in the content that is our life now and hold out the content that's not. And our two bookends of our life and uh, following of Jesus can probably be described like this. There is what is now and there is what is soon. And what we're going to see today is that between now and soon, here is the here and now. This is where we live. Now holds this in, soon holds this in, but now also blocks out what I'm going to call uncertainty and soon blocks out what I'm going to call perfection. Let me try and explain. When we're talking about what is now, what do we know? These are the things that we learned a few weeks ago in July 11, and the link to the talk is on the screen. This is where we looked at Mark 13. And though there are some other views out there that you might want to check out, what I taught was that when Jesus speaks of the coming of the Son of Man, he's not speaking about his second coming from heaven. That's something that will happen soon. No, instead Jesus was talking about his resurrection from the dead, the time where God would take the humble and earthly son of man from the grave, raise him from the grave, and seat him at his right hand, where he would be declared the Lord of all and have a kingdom above all kingdoms. So now... We know that the Son of Man has come, that God has raised him. As Jesus said in verse 30 of Mark 13, this would happen in the lifetime of the generation he first told it to. So that's happened. And it's a wonderful thing because it shows us that Jesus is Lord and it's going to block out uncertainty. But on the other end of our bookshelf, we have the things that are happening soon. How soon? I don't know and neither do you. What we do know is that God's promised us that these are things that will happen and things that we can wait for confidently. They're things that are not yet, but things that will happen.
And one of these soon things is that Jesus will return from heaven to earth. And as he returns from heaven to earth, he returns not as the humble son of man. He returns as the Lord. The son of man came to give his life, to come as a servant, to offer a ransom for the life of many. At Jesus' second coming, he is the Lord who comes. And he comes in glory and he comes as judge of all the earth. So knowing that we have a now and we have a soon, our question is, in light of this soon that Jesus will return, how should we live our lives now? The question is, how do these two bookends affect the content of our here and now? What should we expect to find? Well, here's what I think we should expect to find. The first thing you're going to find between now and soon is a warranty book. A warranty is your guarantee that if something goes wrong, if something is broken, it's not on you. Now, of course we know when Jesus returns, he comes as judge and all will come before Jesus. And before that judgment, you think, oh, how will I go? How will I go? We have, because of what Jesus has done, a guarantee or a warranty. We can live our lives with certainty if we've entrusted ourselves to Jesus. I know there's a, there's a question many of us are familiar with. You might ask someone, if you were to die tonight, if you were to stand before Jesus, could you be certain that he would let you into his heaven? And people have answered different ways to that. Sometimes there's been a lot of uncertainty. But because of what Jesus has done, that uncertainty can end. You see, each and every person who looks to the now of what Jesus has done, that is died and risen for our sin, can have absolute certainty that Jesus, the Son of Man who has come, has given his life, has paid a ransom, does have the authority on earth to forgive sins, is Lord of all things. And so if the Son has forgiven you, then when the Lord returns, you can have a warranty that someone has paid for all your broken parts and all of my broken parts how does the second coming of Jesus affect the way we live now well it means that we must look to what Jesus did the first time he came so that we can live now with absolute certainty the now bookend blocks out uncertainty Jesus has shown us how to be forgiven but some might say but I still sin. My life isn't good enough. I don't do all the right things. And that's when perfection starts creeping in. Well, if, if God says I'm a saved sinner and now I'm a saint, how come I don't act like a saint? Again, this bookend holds out perfection. We understand that there is more to come. That in this time we can have absolute certainty. And so we live as people certain of our salvation. But we also live as people who acknowledge that that doesn't mean we'll be perfect, that that doesn't mean we'll never make mistakes. And when we do make mistakes, we don't need to hide them as if perfection were our expected way of life. No, we simply look back to the now, simply look back to what Jesus has done, receive his forgiveness and live with certainty in 
the now time. Certainty for the judgment that is to come. Well, what else might we expect to find between now and soon? How would the here and now look if we know we have a Jesus who died for us and a Jesus who will return? The next thing I think we might find is a photo album. Of course, photos give us pictures of our reality. They show us us. They show us our loved ones as well. And one of the fantastic pictures that belongs between now and soon is a picture of Jesus. Throughout Mark's gospel, many have contended with Jesus. Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, and other scribes. And people contended with him and they didn't believe his claim that he was in fact sent from God. Mark's opening verse says, This is the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who is God's Christ. At his baptism, God declared him, My Son, my Christ. As Mark's story continues to unfold, Jesus continues to teach, perform signs, and deal with conflict where people are saying, I don't think you're that guy. Who is this man that he speaks like this? Jesus said in Mark 13, there will be one sign of me being the Christ. You will see the abomination that causes desolation, and you'll see the Son of Man coming on the cloud. You'll see my death, and you'll see me raised up again. And that will be the definitive sign that my kingdom... The kingdom, I said, had drawn near, has come. And so when we live in this time between now, where the Son of Man has come, and where the Lord will return, we have a clear picture of who Jesus is. Jesus, by his resurrection, has been confirmed as Christ. That's a now reality by his resurrection. And surely as those who acknowledge this historic truth, that affects how we live and speak. The Jesus we speak of is Jesus who is confirmed as the Lord. Jesus who is confirmed as the Christ. We revere his name. We revere his authority over us. We don't disregard him. We speak highly of him and we speak of him as our Lord. There's no more uncertainty about who is this man. This man has been confirmed as the Christ. There's no more uncertainty about what has he come to do. The Christ has come to give his life, to suffer on our behalf, to pay a ransom on our behalf, and to purchase our lives for God. And because we are certain of this now, as we engage with one another, as we engage with, engage with the wider world, we persuade, we speak of a truth that we are convinced of. We say Jesus is Lord. This is part of what we believe to be true, what we know is confirmed. But the other side of things is where perfection can creep in. Sometimes because we know this thing to be true, we might think, Everyone should know this thing to be true. And we'd be right. We want everyone to know it. And so we persuade. What we don't do is we don't coerce. We don't live as part of a theocracy. We live in a time where the world, according to God's wisdom, is in part still in rebellion to Jesus. At the second coming, the soon time, God promises that every knee will bow 
and every tongue will confess. We must acknowledge at this time that that's not the case. That kind of kingdom perfection is not yet with us. And so what's our responsibility? We persuade, but as Christians, we don't try to coerce. When the Lord returns, every knee will bow. Right now, our job is to persuade and speak of what is confirmed that we know to be true. That the Christ has been confirmed and that the Son of Man has come, laid down his life and paid a ransom for us. And so in our photo album, we have a clear picture of who Jesus is and I also have a clear picture of who I am. Who am I? Who are you? Well, if you trust in Jesus, you're someone who has been bought, someone who has been ransomed. As other parts of the scripture say, I'm not my own anymore. I belong to him and I'm precious in his sight. So what do I give my life to? I give my life to the one who owns me. I follow my master. And what do I say of myself? Do I say the things of uncertainty that happened back here yesterday? No, I say the things that Jesus says of me, that I am saved, that I am precious to him, that I belong to him, that I'm his treasured possession. And I live my life in this time with the self-identity that I'm owned by Jesus, beloved of God, regardless of what happened before and regardless of what anyone else might say. The now has massive implications on how we live our life between now and soon. But the soon also reminds us of some very important other things that might be existing in the here and the now. Brochures and catalogues. Brochures and catalogues are the the books, the pictures, the leaflets of the things that I desire but I don't have yet. In verse 31 of Mark 13, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus gives us an insight that the physical world that we know now is not forever. That there's more to come. Elsewhere in the scriptures, we learn that with the soon coming of Jesus, a new creation comes, a new heaven and earth joined together come. And God and people are all together and everything is put to perfection. But perfection is over here. Perfection does not live here. How does the second coming of Jesus affect the way we live today? We live today with certainty, but also understanding that the journey is not finished. And so in the here and now, the second coming of Jesus helps me understand why there is still suffering. Helps me understand that this earth, this heaven, a new one is coming. A new creation is coming. And so in this time, though there is certainty, there's not yet perfection. So sometimes I'll suffer. Though God loves me, sometimes things will be hard. Sometimes when we have tough times and we go through particular suffering, we might ask the question, does God love me? Does God care? Once again, this is the language of uncertainty. We're told in the scriptures, because Jesus did die, because God kept his promise and rose him from the grave, I can be sure God has revealed now 
that yes, I do love you. So much I'd give my only son. Yet we still live in this period where we cry out for what is to come. The second coming of Jesus reminds us that though we suffer now, we suffer with certainty and we suffer with anticipation that God will put all things to right. The second coming of Jesus and this soon time reminds us that we will live with imperfection here. Specifically, Jesus says, the heaven, heavens and the earth will pass away. And so that means even as we think about our environment, this physical world that we, lives in, we live in, we should choose language of stewardship and, and using it well rather than the common language of sustainability. Sustainability starts to suggest that we could actually make this thing work forever. We could bring perfection now. If we just use it correctly, it'll last forever. But that's not what God's word says. God's word says, no, no, this earth is temporary. Now, that's not an excuse for us to be reckless with it. But how we think about our management of resources and how we use the environment should be motivated by a thought of, this is God's. He's called us to steward it well, rather than this belongs to humans or this belongs to our children and so we need to make it last forever. It won't last forever. It won't. Heaven and earth will pass away, but Jesus' words will not pass away. And so we choose stewardship of what God has entrusted to us rather than sustainability of something we don't own. This affects the way we think about change. We need to be a people who are clear on what's forever and what's not forever. Sometimes we hope, you know, even as Christians, we look back to the Garden of Eden and we think we could just get back there. But what God is saying to us with the second coming of Jesus, you're not trying to get back there. I've got something better for you. You look forward. You look forward to what I'm bringing. And so the things that you have known, these things may pass away. They may move on. The way you church may change. All things may change. But the hope that is in Jesus, that won't pass away. That won't change. Hold on to that and anticipate what is coming with the return of Jesus. And so one of the final things, I think, and maybe the most significant that we can see in Mark that belongs in the here and now, is a handbook. Handbooks tell us what we're actually meant to be doing. And in Mark 13, verse 27, Jesus is, I think, very clear about what he thinks his second coming and the coming of the Son of Man mean that we should be doing now. Let me read Mark 13 for you. Mark 13 from verse 26. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. This is at Jesus' resurrection. Then what? Verse 27. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. This is not some story about something angelic creatures are going to do one day. This is a story in apocalyptic language of what Jesus has called his disciples to do now. Because we know that the Son of Man has come, he sends his angels. Apocalyptic language just means messenger. Does not have to be a winged creature from heaven. 
He will send his messengers. He will send you and he will send me. Where will he send us? What will he send us for? He'll send us to gather or to church his elects, those he has chosen. From where? From the four winds, from the four directions of the compass. From all the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Jesus is talking about mission. He's talking about evangelism. He's talking about to every tribe, tongue and nation announcing what is now so they may be prepared for what is soon. The only way to be prepared for the second coming of Jesus, the coming of the Lord when he comes as glorious judge is to put your hope, your trust and your faith in what Jesus has done already. And so his call on us, his call on all, is to announce the good news that he is the Christ who saves. And isn't that precisely what he did? Mark chapter 16. When the women came to the tomb looking for a dead Jesus, there was a messenger who told them, he's not here, he is risen. See the place where they laid him. From verse 7, what happens immediately? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The first instruction at the resurrection of Jesus is go and tell. This is good news for all to know. The only way to be ready for the soon is to put your trust in the now. To be ready for judgment is to trust in the salvation that Jesus has brought for us by his death and resurrection. These women said nothing because they were fearful. And it makes sense that sometimes we can be fearful or overwhelmed. I I, I had this conversation with my youngest son. Uh, He's 10 just the other day. I came out of my room and he was loitering at my door looking very sad, in fact with tears. He said, Dad, I need to talk to you. Sure. We sat down. And the tears flowed and he cried as he said to me, I talked to someone the other day who didn't know God. And I told them about Jesus. I told them about God and they wouldn't listen. And then he cried. And I said, tell me about why you're crying. And he said, I feel like I failed them. I feel like I've let them down. I feel like I've let God down. So why do you feel like that? What do you think it is God wants you to do? And he said, make people Christians. And I said, son, that is not what God wants you to do. And God never has that expectation on any of us. What God wants you to do is share good news. You did exactly what God wants you to do. You told And that's all you can do. God does the rest. Sometimes we're fearful as perfection creeps in that I think somehow I should have this message, this perfect way, this perfect manner, this 100% strike record of everyone I tell about Jesus says, yes, good teacher, I put my faith in him and I follow. But that's not what God's called us to do. The second coming of Jesus is when God will make sure every knee bows and every tongue confesses. That's God's job. 
How does the second coming of Jesus affect how we live life now? We tell everyone who will listen that Jesus has come, that Jesus died to save them, that Jesus rose, that there might be hope, that there might be a guarantee, that there might be a clear knowledge of who he is, that we might be able to follow him, that we might have hope of what is to come. And that's all. That's what God's called us to do. The second coming of Jesus means we live between the bookends and the only way to be ready for what is soon is to live a life based on what is now, what Jesus has done already, his resurrection. And the exciting news is over the next two Sundays, we get the opportunity as a church to spend a whole week hearing about world mission and the wonderful, wonderful direction Jesus has given us to go and tell all people of what he has done so they may be ready for when he returns. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that we have a certain, uh, a certain guarantee that he will return again as the glorious Lord, as the King, and as the Judge of the heavens and the earth. We thank you, Lord, that we don't need to anticipate that day with fear and trembling, but instead with certainty, because when he came as the Son of Man, he died and he rose to give us assurance, to give us a warranty, a guarantee that we will be safe on that day. Father God, we pray, remembering what Jesus has done, that we might have a clear picture of who he is and who we are as well. Father God, may we be reminded that with his return, all things will be put to right. And so as we endure a world that is not perfect, where things get broken, where we are broken, where justice isn't perfect, may we not despair but anticipate at his return, all of these things will be put under his feet and put right. Father God, as we wait for the return of Jesus, as we know the significance of it, would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to share the good news of what he has done so that all may hear his call to repent and believe in him that they might be saved for the day of his return. We pray these things in Jesus' name and that our daily lives might be affected and changed by the hope of his return. Amen.